touchdown, Houston. Hauschka is no good. This kick is no good. Takes the snap. Robinson lost the football. Watson looking for Cooks. He's got it again. Ah, Brandon Cooks. What a day. Minshew steps up. In trouble. Hit hard. Lost the football. Jacob Martin forced the fumble. And it is Houston football. Cooks, and he can run all the way to the house. He wins. 28-yard touchdown. And for Cooks, his first as a member of the Texans and Romeo Cornell. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. The first time this season we've got a victory to discuss. The Texans scored a six and nine drives and put up their best points total since week six of 2019. Two turnovers to add into the mix and it'll help. We've finally got a victory. Uh, joined with me this week um, from Texans Unfilled is John Wade. How are you doing, John? And sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need a team that is just absolutely struggling, that you can get in there, walk through everything, kind of get timing down, and it's almost like a glorified practice on the Texans' end. That's what a good, good get-right game is like, and that's why it's hard to it's hard to get too excited. But at the same time, if you look around the league, there's teams like the Raiders beat the Chiefs. Like who who saw that coming? Um, this happens every single week. Minnesota put up an, a beyond a great fight against Seattle that the NFL, even if you are down to your second stream, even if um, injuries happen, the NFL is so balanced and there's so much parity that it's little things that make a big difference. And sometimes small team or these teams that are supposed to be way overmatched can just really surprise you. So to come in and put away a team that, you know, uh, the Jaguars are kind of feisty. And to do it in this sort of manner is still something to be very, very happy. Yeah, and I think Gardner Minshew moved the ball well, I think, at times. And, I mean, we'll come on to some of the defensive backs. And Doug Marone talked about that. You know, they were trying to go after certain guys. And Jay Gruden had obviously picked and the pick likes to pick his victims, if any of those reports uh, from Washington are true. But he... Um, you know, I think I suppose in the grand scale of things, I mean, what handed the game was, I mean, the two the two missed field goals, you know, in less than a minute, uh, right right before the half, um, and then and then and then Gruden's third down call uh, that got us the first turnover of the season. I think that was the point that that caught that that swung. I thought the the biggest probably the biggest sign of momentum wasn't even the turnover, but it was actually. David Johnson ran for a first down for the very next play. That felt like that. That felt like the tide had turned more than actually the turnover. No, definitely that. I mean, that turnover was on uh, fourth and goal, and had they or not fourth and goal, but uh, fourth and like two, if they just ran it straight up the gut, they probably would have gotten the first down. Especially the way our run defense has been playing. So thankfully, they outthought themselves um, and gave us that turnover, and it still counts because he lost control of the ball, even though it was fourth down. And, you know, it's little things like that, that when you're losing, never go your way. You sit there when you're losing and you see, and you can, when you're losing, you pick out all the dumb play calls. It's really easy to do. But when you get a win, you can forgive a lot of dumb play calls. Like if, if the Jaguars had managed to pull it out, then nobody really remembers that play. It's kind of like a goofy play. So it's just magnified because they lost. And Gardner Minshew like I've said it before on our podcast, he is, um, he's Case Keenum with a better mustache. 
which means, you know, he's going to put up a pretty good fight. Like he's going to gain yards. He's going to, he's going to do things. Um, he'll probably never be enough to be a star. Granted, I doubt that most of us would even know his name if he didn't have that goofy mustache, but he goes out there and he's solid. And James Robinson, that running back though, like the job we did on him, that was impressive. Like, I think that he's going to be a very, very good player for, for years to come. Yeah, I think Minshew's growing that hair in a bit more just to complete that look, I think. So he's uh, he, he definitely appeals to, to a certain variety of football fan. I think the, James Robinson, I think, just a sign, it was a good example of, you know, and we've just moved on from the Bill O'Brien, but, the, you know, the constant under un, or lack of ability, rather, to, to evaluate running backs. And they got a guy, you know, from Illinois State, undrafted and he comes in and he's you know albeit the Texans as you said did a good job of bottling him up but comes in and can make an impact for you you know if you've got enough guys oh, clearing lanes I think go that's a that's a great point and if we really wanted to further trash on our and our lack of front office at this point but the previous front office is around the league they show that you can get solid production out of running backs that other people have passed over. Heck, we did it last year. Like that was actually a turning point. And one of the things that I was higher on Bill O'Brien about was we brought in Carlos Hyde and we made him productive. Like that's what successful franchises in the NFL do. That's why there's that whole meme online of running backs don't matter. It's no running backs very much matter. Production out of the running back position matters. But there's guys that are out there that can be fit into schemes that are good enough athletes that are overlooked day in, day out. And it's not necessarily plug and play because there has to be a marriage, but if you find that right guy, you don't have to pay him a fortune. Instead, the Texans pay between Duke Johnson and David Johnson more to our running back position than any other team in the league. Yeah, and I think, again, I'm probably a side note digressing a bit, but Duke Johnson's snaps went down again this week. And, you know, this, you saw the, the pass that he did catch, you know, makes a linebacker miss on the outside, gets up, gets the first down. There was still some play calls. And actually, the, the first or the Darren Fells touchdown that we scored. That was the first time the Texans had got a, a chain moving play and hadn't gone back to the run game. And I think, I mean, I know it was a busted coverage from the safety, and the, I think they, they described it as two floaters on the broadcast. But I think maybe their safety was in shock that it wasn't just a run up the middle and we went back to the air again because uh, that it, it definitely broke a game open. And okay, maybe you can see they were trying to set up those tendencies and then uh, and catch them out. And maybe maybe they're uh, much smart much smarter than me in doing that. But I think I counted five times before that they moved the chains and then just went for you know either a loss or a zero gain. Yeah, you know maximum two yards with David Johnson. You thought you know the Lamar Miller for one or Blue for two or whatever it was up the middle. They still didn't quite move away from that. And I think that's what Hem does in. And those kind of play callings, I think, in the first half particularly, well, for three quarters, didn't allow us to move the ball, you know, consistently enough settling for field goals because we actually just took those easy, lazy play calls in a sense and it just kills your rhythm and then that's why you end up setting for field goals. Yeah, and it's something that was kind of concerning about what Romeo Cornell said after the game. Duke... Duke Johnson is forever underrated. He is one of the most efficient players in the entire NFL when the ball is in his hand. I think that he was number two in um, yards after expected catch. Um, so good things happen when Duke John Johnson touches the ball. However, Cornell, after the end of the game, was like, well, sometimes you just want the bigger running back in there. Which, okay, well, you get a bigger running back that's a grinder instead of David Johnson, who David Johnson doesn't really do big running back things. And we're falling into that same trap that the Cardinals did with uh, McCoy that got him fired after one year. And 
looks like, um, and I mean, I got Bill O'Brien fired after four games, is you try to use him like that big grinding running back when that's not what he does. He doesn't really make people miss. He catches passes, he can run fast, and he can run with power. He will carry a tackler, but he doesn't make them miss. And trying to run him up the gut, the first guy he gets into, he's going to carry him for about a yard, and that's it. Whereas if you get him into space, that's a, more of a benefit. But it's just continued misuse with him, and we'll see how that kind of changes. Because, again, good things happen when Duke Johnson hits the ball or gets the ball, and they really hopefully need to bring him more into the game. And some of that could have been in- injury. I mean, I think he ended up playing – Duke ended up playing 29% of the snaps. Yeah, 17 snaps. So that's not enough um, to David Johnson's 45, but hopefully hopefully that will continue. Yeah, you've got to think they can try and you know get Duke Johnson. I don't know if it's still the ankle and they're just trying to phase his return back and it felt like that was a game they could get get by without him and they're probably right in that sense if, if that is the thinking but it felt like there just needs to be more of him on the field and I know when they went um, you know some of the sort of big plays at the end they went for the two running back sets and, and, and set up in that sense I think something they wanted to do all season in sort of Duke Johnson's injuries not allowed them to so hopefully he can come back in I, and then I think the biggest positive John was just Brandon Cook's 161 yards he had another four targets actually that if Deshaun just lays the ball out a bit in front of him a guy who's um, of his pace running crossers, he's gonna he's gonna beat his man Hall and maybe get some yak yards, which we just don't do enough. Um, I thought a good game from Brandon Coots considering he, he talked about wanting the ball more. There was a moment where I thought his concussion had been uh, when Josh Jones um, got got got, uh, got um, ejected for the second week in a row. An opposition safety gets gets ejected by the refs, but I thought I thought at that point it was almost his, his start was going to be over before it truly, truly uh, started showing up in a Texans jersey. No kidding. Uh, Brandon Cooks finished the day with 12 targets. Um, he caught eight of them for 161 with a long of 36. So he earned that 161. You take away his long, he's still up at 130. That That's a great day. That is a great, great day. And I said it on our, our post-game show, is our offense works best if you're running the offense between Cobb and Cooks. Use Cobb for those short to intermediate routes. Um, move the chains. Um, you saw the one where he catches the ball immediately when he's tackled. This is why slot receivers have so many dropped passes, because that, that happens. Lots of times they drop it. But those are momentum builders. And Brandon Cooks, his ability um, to run from the slot, run outside, run such a, a number of routes, he can really make the offense go. Fuller should have like Deshaun Jackson stat lines. Three, like when they have three receptions for 110 yards and a touchdown, that's Fuller. That's his game. He's a great route runner, but you use him for those splash plays, for those impact plays. Use Cooks and Cobb to move the ball because they are incredibly reliable. And that's why they're, I mean, they're both getting like upper echelon wide receiver contracts. So obviously that's my opinion. Um, That's what we did against the Jaguars in the second half. It took until the second half before they realized it, but hopefully we'll continue to see that going forward. Yeah, and I think that's it. It's just opening up the opening up the offense and it opens up the playbook, I think, when you can stretch the field. And and I think the pass protection this week was improved. Just another side note again, Calabente, um coming in playing the full game this yep, time every snap um or, or yeah yeah every snap for for Max Sharp and what do you think of that in terms of thing because actually um 
you know, there was a couple of times. Um, you know, Kelly Minty missed a, a a block on a on a screen pass to David Johnson early in one of the drives. And I don't think he had a bad game. I thought the the, the protection was good overall and it was solid. And there was a couple of really clean pockets for Deshaun to step into. Um, but it seems like one to watch when you've invested in Max Sharp and it feels like he's not done a huge amount wrong. When actually at the other at the other guard spot, Zach Fulton had a you know couple he had a he got flagged and he had a couple of blown protections. I'm kind of torn on this because uh, Kelamate came in and played solid. Um, he does not have the ceiling of Sharpen, but he also doesn't have the floor. But Sharpen can't develop into that ceiling unless you play him. But the Texans at the same time need to win. They need to keep Deshaun upright. And Deshaun absolutely cooks when he has a clean pocket. Um, he demonstrated it time in, time out. Like you give Deshaun a clean pocket and he's not having to run around for the for his life, he's a very, very, very good quarterback. So you have to balance that. Sharping is one of the players that probably suffered the most from this whole COVID mess because he does not look as strong as he did last year. And that is a huge issue when you're a guard. Um, he just, last year they did kind of help him out with a lot of like combo blocks. Um, he got a lot of additional help and you do that for a rookie. And this year when he was left on his own, he was just being overpowered, which is very, very concerning. But at the same time, that happens to Fulton too. And you've got to balance that between do you let them grow and get better or do you try and win games? And it's tough. And I'm not going to come down on the side right now that um, my co-host is that we're wasting a pick on Sharping and we're wasting his progress because with him, his biggest thing is he just needs to get stronger. And that can still happen. Like, I think that throughout the year he'll get stronger. But I, I understand the concern because playing would help him develop and help him get that in-game strength. Yeah, and you think with with one with one eye towards next season as well. You think what's you know because, and I don't know how the refs missed it because you saw the, the reaction from uh, Dwayne Smoot when he landed on hot, uh, when he landed on Watson when he overthrew David uh, Johnson in the end zone, and you, you saw it from the replay. He got up, put his hands up in there, saying you know don't flag me sort of thing. And did he landed on him full weight uh, down the quarterback, which is a fifteen yard penalty by the rule book. But that was a, a Zach Fulton uh, miss block, um, and be, like like you said, I think the. The, the combo blocks of Nick Martin sliding over to the left, which was always his tendency with sharpening in the lineup to, um, you know, in pass protection sets, it wasn't there. Um, and I think, you know, with a lens towards next season, I don't think it would be the worst move if you put Kelamente, um at right guard, um, you know, considering he got that kind of odd extension with the with the number that uh, Fulton's got on the books that I just can't see for the life of me being being on being on here. But um yeah, an interesting yeah, right story to, to... I think right now, next year we're projected to be over cap. I can't imagine Fulton's going to be back, but they've got to. No. They've got to. Yeah. They have to balance uh, whether or not to give up on this season or going forward. And at this point, like with the extra playoff spot, like the Texans should still, they still have the talent to make the playoffs. And that was probably a better conversation for last week. But this team was way too talented to be performing the way that they were. So, yeah, that's a, it's a tough call, and I'm sure this is where I wish I, we could actually listen to what the coaches talk to, and I wish we could talk to the O-line room, cause they, or we could actually listen to those and be a fly on the wall, because I want to hear what the coaches' thought process is going into it. Um, yeah, because they just have to put the best players out there with a chance to win. But sometimes from a fan's perspective and our perspective, uh, it's, it's kind of tough to see how they decided that that was the best guy. 
Yeah, and I think these guys are trying to win now and do what they can because I think the vast majority of this coaching staff and some of the front office to a degree won't be here yeah. um, next year. So this is their resume. I think that's how to, that's it. So they've got to put some good tape out there and show what they did, you know, without the confines of the the evil dictator that is no longer in some people's eyes. Um, Watson, two interceptions. What did you make them both to Fuller? I don't think Fuller had a great game. He dropped two slants inside as well. It kind of feels like we're still yet to get a game where Fuller and Cooks can really uh, turn up, you know, and both on the stat sheet uh, for all for all four quarters. Well, on the positive side, Fuller had one of the best, coolest touchdowns ever. Like that, that slide pop-up, that was cool. Um, on the other side, that... The, uh, the deep interception to Fuller, that wasn't necessarily a bad throw, but that was bad placement. Um, like, I understand the thought process before he did turn out. He had a couple of underneath routes that were easily open, easier throws. But going for Fuller, going for him there, that's a catch and throw that has been completed before. Um, they've done it several times before, so I don't fault it. It was just kind of like bad, a little bit of bad luck the way that it got popped back up and you know, sometimes that just happens and I'm not going to fault him for being aggressive there. The other one was a, was a batted pass, um, that it just, that's kind of on Watson to make sure that his throwing lanes are still clear. Um, but neither one of those interceptions to me, they're not really bad decisions. They're just kind of bad execution. And that's what you always kind of want. If bad execution kind of happens, like things happen on the football field. Bad decisions are when you kind of get when you have to get concerned, and bad bad decisions can be anything from too much pressure to him having to move his feet too much to him not understanding what he was seeing. Those are just bad execution. Yeah, I took a bit of heat on Twitter from particularly from Swan, uh, telling me about the first when I watched it on the broadcast. I didn't see the the again Dwayne Smoot's hand come up and 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 sort of kind of just glean off the ball and it kind of took the took the trajectory off it. Um, it was difficult to see that at the time, but it looked like it did. But I think with both of them, though, I think it was just decisions of, of Watson. It felt like, you know, it showed you in the broadcast, um, you know, that the, there was the underneath throughout. I think it was it was Randall Cobb that was open. I know he just caught the caught the, caught the the previous first down catch. So the tendency had maybe is to go away from him. Um, and he just could have left that throw a bit further towards the sideline and maybe, you know, given Fuller a bit more of a stretch out rather than having to turn back and catch it. And I think still kind of, some of that chemistry element, I think, with Watson's there. And I don't think too much to be concerned. It was definitely his best performance of the season by considerable you know, amount. I think we just got it, as I said at the start, we've got to keep in context the, the team and the, and the sort of level of quality that we did play against because, you know, the next couple of weeks are going to be a real test, you know, with it, without this, you know, if the, in fact, it was the O'Brien shackles. And I think, Johnny, overall, did you not think, and I thought it was on the defensive side of the ball as well, that the, the players just flew around a bit more and looked a bit freer than there was, just general kind of smiles and kind of happiness. And I know that comes with winning, but it felt like they on the lead up to the game as well. And, you know, Watt's comments about being on the same page with the fan base. I think, you know, there was definitely, you know, all the, all those underlying kind of issues that, the, you know, the frustrations that the, the players had with O'Brien and the decisions he'd made in the front office as well as a coach. And it felt like that was lifted to a degree, it, although we're nowhere near our best, but I, I felt that just, it turned the page in some senses. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's come out that that when Easterby came along, um, him and Bill O'Brien tried to institute this philosophy of players should be more afraid for their job. They should be more afraid accountable. They should almost have that more of a walking on eggshells. Um, A lot of the comments along the line 
texts have been that prior to Easterby, Bill O'Brien wasn't like that. And I don't know if that was Easterby gaining more of um more of a hold than Rack than Romeo Cornell had. Because Romeo Cornell has always been known as a, a really, really good players coach. Like he's the only co- intern coach that I can think of. Granted, I didn't do too much research on it, but where his players actually went to the front office and asked him to be kept on as the full-time head coach. And that happened in Kansas city. The first time he went, was an intern head coach. Um, at the end of that season, his players walked up to their um, general manager, uh, Scott Pioli at the time and said that they wanted him. And so when you had him as a huge part of that locker room as the defensive coordinator and prior to Easterby, like, he helped maintain that mood. So this is probably why he's the best choice right now to be the interim coach is I don't know who's changing the culture, but you have rack that's going to put his culture in and that keeps the players freer. They know, they know what their expectations are. They know that they are just asked to go in and do a job and they don't have to be superstars. They just have to go in there and do their job and not try and do too much. And that's how he's going to hold them accountable. Just do your job. Yeah, and I think you saw that thing on the defensive side of the ball. I thought we were some of the play calls and the three-man rushes with the unit we've got. I think we we probably didn't get enough pressure. I know we, you know people look at three sacks and look at the sack numbers and think we're rushing the passer, but we're not really. Um, I think that's obviously. I mean, that was obviously a concern, just as it was a concern that guys like Gaines, Eric Murray, who had ten yards on on uh, Chris Conley before he got that fifty-yard catch in behind. So I don't quite know what happened there. I've not seen the all fifty-two isn't out on the international game pass yet so I'm not quite sure what went on there but it's, it's probably not new news to anybody that um that we're you know we're, we're you know susceptible on, on the back end but we hadn't given up many big plays and we gave up three over 20 yards do you think that's going to be a concern as we go go to uh Tennessee I, I'm really interested to see what the all 22 has to say on this one um because we had actually done a very very good job of not allowing deep passes um this was the first game that we gave up I think anything over 20, 20 yards. Um, and we gave up three. So it's one of those things that was obviously a philosophy change, uh, more, more so than, uh, than I would say skill of the opponent. And I'm just kind of interesting to see how that's going to be going forward. Um, as for pressure, according to next gen stats, this was the smallest pocket that the, uh, the Texans created all, all year. Um, so according to next gen stats, like the average pocket size or how close pass rushers are to the passer is 4.51 yards. With this, we were hovering right between 3.91 and 4.19 against the Jaguars. So we were a lot closer than, to Minshew than we typically are. So it wasn't a bad game. I still think that Jacob Martin, he just needs to be on the field more. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the one that makes that go. Uh, Merciless did his job because Merciless always gets those kind of cherry those cherry picking sta- uh, sacks. He very very technical. He's always in the right spot at the right time, and that's he does those cleanup sacks, and that's what he did again this time. Um, and then, I mean, JJ was. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a polite way to say how they defended JJ. Essentially. They were gonna. Yeah, I don't know how they never got holding. I, I mean, there was so many uh, old game. 
Um, and there was even, there was, you know, I even saw it in other games uh, this weekend as well that they just refusing to th- throw the flag on hold. And I don't know if the if that's a point of emphasis for the referees, but it looked like that they just aren't calling them for whatever reason. Yeah, they were essentially trying to be as blatant as they could until they got a flag, and they never got a flag. Like there was a couple of times where I thought they were going to break JJ's back again. Like when you see him bend backwards like that with the back issues he's had, I'm like, they're going to let him hurt. They're going to let the Jaguars hurt him, and. It was very, very obvious against JJ. Usually when they're holding that blatantly, it's because um, the pass rusher has had a first step. And JJ obviously did. Like he he was beating, um, I think it was Khan, um, pretty, pretty handedly. And it was just constantly the holding, the clotheslines. Like I'm very glad that JJ just got out of there without being hurt, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I think it was a guy Taylor who, who was out of Florida. Taylor. I think he was the one that yeah, yeah, that was the one that caught him at one point, and that was with the broadcast gave it gave it a bit of run. But it felt like it happened a lot before that point. You're right, Jacob Martin needs to be on the field and just yeah, it's probably not quite getting there. But I think Weaver overall did a, did a good a good job. I, I think probably of all the games, it was probably wasn't his bit always his best. I think he tried to drop too many guys into covers. Lonnie Johnson got an, an uptake in snaps. I felt. John watching the Lonnie Johnson one that he should have been the safety in behind for the one where Bradley Roby got the the PI call and they got the ball down on the uh, down at the goal line for their first one. Did you you think he was at fault again? Because it seems like you know we're putting a raw corner at safety and the mistakes are just going to keep piling up for the guy. Um, maybe. Uh, again, it's one of those where you want to say it more with the all twenty two before you completely throw somebody under the bus. Um, but Lonnie. I think that if they decide what if they decide to keep him at safety, he's going to be a very very good safety. But I think he's still kind of struggling from being in between positions. Um, he's what's the best way to put this? He's kind of hesitating where he's where guys should naturally be a little bit more instinctive. Whereas compared to um, to Gain, EJ Gain, is that right? Uh, Philip Gaines. Gaines. Why did I? Yeah, Philip yeah. Gaines. There we go. Philip Gaines. Philip Gaines ended up being on the uh, on the field for twenty four snaps, and that to me is actually a huge problem. Even more so than Lonnie kind of looking lost sometimes at safety, and they're they're kind of rotating. Or sometimes he was playing safety, sometimes he was playing corner. Where Gaines is the guy that he was the guy that was heavily targeted. Like he was the guy they they were picking on him whenever he was on the field, and I don't know. You would think that there's somebody better than Philip Gaines out there, but what do I know? I, this is something when Gary and Conley comes back, I think that's a huge step up for our secondary. And I'm gonna allow guys to kind of move back into their natural positions a little bit better, and I'm kind of wondering what happened to um, shoot, what it um the uh, the rookie cornerback that. Oh, John Reed, yeah, I think, yeah, he basically got, got some snaps week one, didn't he, for a half, yeah. and then they've kind of just shied away. I, I think at this stage, yeah, I, I don't see a, a reason why over guys like like, like Gaines or, or Hargreaves. I mean, Hargreaves was okay, to be fair. He, he does enough to get in the way at times, and he, there was a couple of ones, and right at the end, on the fourth down call, the last play the Jags had on offense, it could have easily been a PI call on another day. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see the 
why they've not just given him given him snaps and letting him go. Um, that might happen later in the season, but it feels like you know there's a lot there um, to be missed off. Terrell Adams coming in seems like Dylan Coles on the outside looking in. There was literally a play made, and then the the, the camera pans to the sideline, and he's got his helmet off. Um, it looks like a led the team in tackles. Yep. Looks like you know it could be a player, a bit of a lighter frame guy, less of a, a box you know downhill thumper than B Mac, and now he's now out for the rest of the season. As we find out today, got a shoulder injury. What do you think of Adams? And is Cole got a role to play? Um, Terrell Adams actually impressed me. Um, he's very athletic. Um, Part of the thing about why our guys always have high tackles, um, both Cunningham and Tyrell Adams, is that's how our defense is more or less set up to be. They want the linemen occupying blockers so that the linebackers can run up and tackle. Um, so they should they should have a lot of tackles. That is actually their biggest job is just to tackle people, clean up and tackle. Um, Tyrell, he, he looks like a guy that's a little bit more suited for the modern NFL. Like he can cover a running back a little bit better. He can cover a tight end a little bit better than BMAC. However, he's, he's not BMAC as a thumper. Like he's not going to hit somebody and just really, you know, knock their lights out the way that BMAC will. And again, I've said it before. I think um, BMAC is just in, he's in the wrong era. If he, if he was a linebacker 15, 20 years ago, we're going to talk, he would be talked about probably as at least an all pro player every year or maybe more. Whereas Tyrell Adams fits this modern cell a little bit better. And I don't want to say it's a good thing that BMAC got hurt, but we've, we're starting to muse about the possibilities of trading, um, trading BMAC because Tyrell Adams can just step in and he can do what's asked of him. I mean, he's not going to be a pro bowler. He's not going to be a game changer, but he's going to go in there and he's going to do his job. What I'm kind of concerned about is Dylan Cole. Is he struggling to come back from his knee injury or is this something else? Because when Dylan Cole first started out, dude was like a huge safety um, that could play linebacker. Like he could cover a wide receiver step to step. And there was a couple of those plays and one of interception against the Browns particularly where I've never seen a linebacker cover that well on the Texans. Like there's other players out there, but a guy on the Texans, like we've never had that. So the fact that he's not getting a lot of playing time kind of really concerns me. It's like, is he still hurt? Like what's going on there? Or if his skills dropped off that much, because it's essentially because he's, he has been a little injury prone. Um, I think he's missed a season. He missed a season and a half essentially over the past, uh, three years so he's played a season and a half total like he's missed about half of his games so maybe that's why they're not putting him out there so much is because they're afraid he's just going to get hurt again i'm not sure yeah it might be a case that was just easing him back um and he, he sees some more time particularly with bmac now and they may be forced to do it but i remember that play actually against the but i'm sure it was duke johnson actually he was, he was going down the sideline with uh step for step intercept and then he got injured on that play and i think he's just never finished a season healthy so maybe they, they just want him to because i think if, if they were that concerned or they or he was that you know or he was just not playing well and actually adams had beaten him out i think i don't think why they would have had a, any 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 hesitation to just put him on ir or just or even just put him on to uh you know or, or release him or put him in the practice squad but i think they know there's enough tape out there that people would pick that guy up so i i hope he comes back because bmat's going to be a a mess and he's probably played his last snap I think oh you know like we said we're over the cap and 
you can't pay. I think his clock was ticking the second Zach Cunningham signed that deal, so I think he's gone. Um, it's a shame though. You don't want that to be the case with a little a good linebacker go and and then you've got uh, you know when they when they traded Demico Ryan's or whatever and then they never replaced them and you had some poor linebacker play with you know the various names that they're trying for Mike Muhammad and all these kind of guys they try to fit in there. You know we've been through that story before, but I wouldn't put it past the team to to. Uh, to do that last one, John, on the game is uh, the failed challenge. Did you think it was out of out of bounds that the, the catch? Because I, I thought, you know, I thought it reminded me of when the Mexico City game when D Hop was not out. There was clear uh, grass between his between his cleat and the sideline. Um, it got called back. I know that was a game that probably the, it felt like the refs were going to do everything to they could in their power to let us get beat that night. Uh, but with that one, I, I just thought you know, you could see there was no clear. Clear uh, grass between be- between the cleat and the sideline. It felt like an obvious one, but maybe w- many of the decisions where it goes to the booth that they're they're very very hesitant to to contradict the guys on the field. Yeah, that was one that to me I thought it was pretty obvious. But again, I'm biased. Like that that wasn't turf. That's the shadow of his cleat. Cleat, come on. Uh, he had he stepped out, stepped back in. But whatever, it is what it is. It ended up not mattering, so I'm not too worried about it. And how much did your uh, heart sink when you read the uh, read the tweet pre game uh, that Cal McNair? Not surprisingly, but he's hired a search firm in uh, in uh, the the firms. It's was it Cor- is it Corin Moore or something like that? The, the um, I forget the name now, but uh, they hired a search firm to hire a GM and coach. What do you think? I know that I know the same firm and the same guy. Um, I think his name's something Hughes. Um, was the you know was the instigator of the Pete Carroll uh, Schneider era in Seattle, so he does have some positive on his resume, just as the O'Brien hire was recommended by his firm as well. What do you think of that? Because well, it feels like you've got to re- feels like he doesn't have any, any contact to go and do it himself. Is what I, I it's what that screams of. I think. Um, well, what it I'm kind of you got to remember that Bill O'Brien was actually a considered a very good hire when he was first brought on. Like he was the coach everybody was after and we got him. Um, I'm going to try and find the Reddit thread because we're, I'm sure we're going to talk about it on, on, on my podcast, but people were over the moon excited. He was their first choice and, and we got him. And I mean, in hindsight, I don't know if that's going to turn to be a good thing or not. However, if it gets Easterby out of the, out of the conversation, like I feel better having yeah. a search for, yeah. firm than Easterby doing it. But then there's other things out there like Andrew Brandt and Mike Lombardi both kind of tweeted out that these things were kind of like a crock. So the fact that guys that used to be general managers kind of voiced that sort of opinion on it, that kind of concerns me, but we'll see. Um, we'll just, we won't really know. Honestly, we won't know until five years from now, which is kind of the sad part, but my heart really didn't sink. I'm just, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a, it's a it's a funny one, isn't it? Because you've got you've got you know the 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 one viewpoint of you know you and I could sit here and come up with a, a list of names and probably get you know sixty seventy percent of them right, or you know or what the, what that search firm's going to return and we'll pay them, you know, however many millions to do that, and that's fine. It's Cal's money, and he wants to be diligent in doing what he's going to do. But uh, yeah, you're right. Keep Easter be out. And you're right as well, I think, on the sense that O'Brien was still a popular hire even before he'd renewed his second contract. And there was a lot of talk that another team were going to take him if we didn't renew it. So 
yeah, I think, you know, Houston's a, a microcosm, I think, of football, football and news and football and opinions at many times, uh, you know, compared to the rest of the league. Um, but anyway, finally, John, I appreciate it for a short of time. But in terms of the um, Week 18 scenario, games have been moved. What do you think the chance of that? And obviously, what do you think of the chance of the Bills tonight and how much will that make uh, their game against the Bills and the Titans game tonight? How much difference do you think that will make in terms of text to travel to Sunday? It's just as a short week as it is if you play the Thursday from the following Sunday. Um, but it, do you think do you think that's going to give us an advantage and, and a chance to maybe go and get a second one that we might not have had otherwise if it hadn't been for the, the COVID messing with the scheduling? Well, we'll find out tonight if the Titans come in there and look like an absolute mess. Because granted, that's how they've ha- handled this whole situation. I still think that they, the hammer needs to drop on them. Um, yeah, it, it really, it really does. Like they're not just putting themselves at risk; they put a lot of people at risk by breaking COVID protocols. But that's neither here nor there. Um, we'll find out tonight if they come out against the Bills and look sharp. Then I'm very nervous on on Sunday. But if they come out and they look flat and they look like a team that's been through a lot because they have, then I'll feel a little bit more confident. Granted, I would rather that they come out and look sharp and we come out and look sharp and beat them because I still think we are a more talented team than them. However, at this point, I will take a win any way we can get it because we got to dig ourselves out of a hole. Yeah, there's a, there's a secondary. I think that I, I toy with the idea before we've even seen a snap tonight. There's a secondary there that we can go and attack. We, we showed we could do that this week. We've failed in previous weeks, the Vikings in, in Kansas City. There's a, but there's a secondary we can go and attack. But at the same time, is that run game with Derek Henry going to be too strong that the offense just simply won't have the ball enough to to make a dent in the scoreboard and keep up with probably what's going to be mostly Gaskowski field goals. And that's just seem, that just is basically how they operate as an offense and have the odd touchdown from Tannehill if they can scheme something wide open enough for him to find. Yeah, those um, field goals have been an absolute adventure for them. Yeah, you're right. And the last one, John, watching Jadavian Clowney, how's it going to, what do you think? Well, how's it going to feel? I'm not sure if you, <laughs> you remember this or you know this. I was a South Carolina grad. So yeah, do yeah. Gamecock. Yep, Gamecock. Yeah. So prior to um, him going to the, ta- uh, actually going to the Seahawks last year, I think I'd probably watched more Jadavian Clowney tape film games than anybody that is not actually paid to do so and so it kind of hurts to see him on another team just kind of but I'll be excited I, I I want him to have a good game just not too good of a game like always root for him he, he's my guy but you know I, we have to win we have to win and that's ultimately more important yeah, that's right. I think, and I don't think that defense scares me. It's got a fantastic spine with with the two safeties and uh, Vicaro and Bayard, and you've got Simmons up front who's been kicking tail all season, and uh, and you've got Clowney who he he does what he does. I think isn't he? I think he's had criticism. He's in the top ten in pressures, but you know very few sacks, and that's just the guy he is. And I wish he was still on our team because it's a, a guy exactly we'll need. But how many TFLs he gets on? Uh, on David Johnson running up the middle and how many hits he gets on Watson, we'll see. But it'll be strange to see him actually playing against him, a guy who we should never let leave leave the building. And I'm sure Vrabel's probably going to come back and have a point to prove as well. And some trick plays that Dane Cruikshank won in that game a couple of years ago still uh, still still echoes, I think, in some ways. But uh, hopefully next week we'll have another Texans win to talk about getting used to the feeling again. It's been a long time. But John, thanks very much for your time this week and uh, hopefully catch up with you soon. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, man.